Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we want to be instructed by your word. We pray that you would reveal more of the Lord Jesus to us. What life before him is like. Life in submission to his word. Your good and righteous will for our lives. We need your spirit to do so. And so we pray that you would send him forth into our hearts. We would go forth from here as those who seek to live for your glory in everything that we do. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, our scripture lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 27 down through Mark chapter 12, verse 12. And you'll find that on page 848 of the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. You remember that Jesus is now in Jerusalem for the last time. And this is the last week of his life. And here he's going to be confronted by the religious leaders yet again. Mark writes, And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you what, by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe me? But shall we say from man? Well, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and they killed him. And so, with uh, many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. Those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. They were seeking to arrest him, but, fearing, but feared the people, for they perceived that he told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Who are you to come in here to tell me what to do? Maybe you've thought those words. Maybe you've even said those words at some point. A young doctor comes into a hospital and begins... Ordering nurses around who have been there for decades. Who are you to come in here and tell me what to do? 
or a young lieutenant comes into the battlefield and begins to instruct soldiers who have been there for many months and have great experience in battle, who are you to tell me what to do? Or maybe it's a new church member that comes in and goes to a particular meeting and starts speaking of new ideas and things that we ought to do differently. And people wonder, that's not the way that we've always done things. Who are you to come in here and tell us what to do? People are often suspicious of new authority, and that was the case for the religious leaders here. We're told that when Jesus came again to Jerusalem, He was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to Him, and they said to Him, What authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Suspicion of authority is part of what it means to live in a fallen world. Most recently in our uh, studies of the Gospel of Mark, we've seen the things that Jesus has done to raise that particular question. Who gave you authority to do these things? Maybe it was the clearing of the temple just prior to this. Maybe it was the fact that Jesus took it upon Himself to forgive sins. Or maybe it was because Jesus broke their oral tradition for the Sabbath laws. So these things that the religious leaders refer to are things which Jesus challenged. And so they're suspicious of His authority. I think suspicion of authority has been part of the air we breathe in Western culture for centuries now. And maybe not for good reason or not without good reason. There are lots of abuses of authority, aren't there? Sexual harassment in the workplace. There's even been a church sex scandal that has been broken in the media. Mishandling of money. Child abuse. Maybe it's simply relational manipulation we want to abuse the relational authority that we have over people and with such misuse of authority and power people have become jaded against all types of authority even good authority rejecting things like marriage rejecting the church and the 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 authority that christ has given to his church even rejecting god himself god has no right to be the authority over me. That was certainly the posture here of the religious leaders who are questioning Jesus. Rather than answering him, them, look what Jesus says. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I'll ask you a question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Now the question is, why would Jesus point them to the baptism of John? Is it just to trap them? Because certainly they realized right away that they were trapped. In fact, we're told that they discussed it with one another, saying, if if we say it's from heaven, he will say, why then didn't you believe him? But we shall say from man. Well, then we'll be in trouble with the people. Jesus isn't simply trying to trap the religious leaders. He's actually trying to point them to the answer of their question. Because when John baptized Jesus, do you remember the heavens parted? 
the Spirit of God came down like a dove and rested upon Jesus and anointed Him. And then the voice from heaven, the Heavenly Father saying, This is My Son with whom I am well pleased. Who gave you the authority to do these things? Jesus said, if you really knew anything about John's baptism, you would know that my heavenly Father and your God is the one who gave me the authority to do these things. So Jesus is simply trying to answer their question if they have the humility to receive it. And to illustrate his point, he goes on to tell them this particular parable about a farmer who owns a vineyard. Now, in Isaiah chapter 5, God speaks of Israel as His vineyard. He created it. He built it. He built a wine press. He built a tower. And He leased it to tenants. And He went into a far country. And He will return one day and He will expect, as is the right of the landowner, a portion of the proceeds. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. Here is this landowner who creates this beautiful vineyard and he leases it to tenants so that they can work it on his behalf. And one day he will return and expect that they will give him a portion of the proceeds. But of course, they do not want to submit to the authority of the landowner. He sends servants, which are symbolic of the prophets. And they beat them up. And send them away. And some they receive and beat and kill. And finally, he says, I have one more. My son. And he sends his son only that the son would be taken out of the vineyard and killed himself. What Jesus is doing here by telling this particular parable is exposing the hardness of heart of all those who will not come to Him in faith and submit to Him. And the religious leaders see it. They are angry. We're told here in verse 12, they were seeking to arrest Him, but feared the people. For they perceived that He had told the parable against them. And that's the very way in which we ought to receive parables. Is that we ought to put ourselves into the story and ask the question, how would I respond if I were the tenets within the story. Would I respond the way the religious leaders do? Or would I give to God His due? With that posture in mind, let's ask several questions of this passage. One, how does the Father want people to respond to His Son's authority? How does the Father want us to respond to His Son's authority? Well, in verse 6, He tells us, He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. He wants us to respect, to honor the son. That's what he told the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. When he says, this is my son. Listen to him. He comes with my authority. And so the Father sends the Son with His own authority and says, now they are to respect My Son. See, there's a love that the Heavenly Father has for His Son that no earthly father has for His own child. 
Even earthly fathers know what it's like to desire their own son to be respected. Father may see a little league coach belittling his own son when he's up to bat rather than encouraging him and giving him instructions. Or an employer who unjustly treats his son makes the father rise up in anger against that employer. Remember of a story where a little boy went to first grade to a new school. He did not understand how things worked in that particular school. He felt lost on the first day and the father went back with him on the second day. And he watched as his son sort of sat off to the side not sure of what to do, and the teacher would instruct the rest of the children. They all seemed to know what to do, and before long, the teacher came over to that son and began to belittle him in front of the father for not getting with the program. The father was angry and grabbed his son and took him away. And the heavenly father here says, I want my son to be respected How dare you? How dare you disrespect my son who is blameless, who is holy, who is righteous, whom I have loved for all of eternity, and who has loved and submitted to me for all of eternity. See, the heavenly father wants his son to be honored even more than we want our own sons to be honored and respected. He offers his son to the world A son who has come full of grace and truth. One who came to his own and was not received by his own. We're told here in verse 8, they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Because the sinful heart does not want to submit to the authority of Jesus. And friends, even though we've come to Christ, and I certainly pray that you have, And trusted Him for your salvation. Every time we sin, we rebel against Christ. It's as if we are saying, along with the religious leaders, who are you to command me? Who are you to command me? I will live life on my own terms. I will do things as I please. I won't submit to you. But I'll seek to take from you every respect that is due to you. So what does the Father want for the Son? He wants us to respect Him. But secondly, we need to ask the question, why do people fail to respect the Son? Well, we're told twice here that the religious leaders were afraid. Chapter 11, verse 32, we're told they were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was a prophet. In chapter 12, verse 12, they sought to arrest him, but they feared the people. They were afraid that the people would rise up in rebellion against them if they somehow harmed Jesus and silenced him. What they were afraid of was losing control. They didn't want to lose their position. And that's what often makes us want to reject power and influences over us. When we feel as though we're beginning to lose control. That our influence is no longer as strong as it used to be. That things aren't being done the way that we want. The status quo is changing. There's no security. 
because I'm losing control. A wife who feels like she's losing control may nag at her husband until he does what she wants just to gain control. A husband, an authoritarian husband may sense that he's losing control of his family and, well, he'll seek to clamp down and harshly rule his wife and children. Or maybe a Christian who doesn't want to give up certain patterns of sin will bounce from church to church because they don't want the leadership to get so close that they begin to impose the commands of God. They don't want the preaching of the Word to come close to home so that it begins to press in upon them and ask them and require of them to keep the commands of God. Someone who's concerned that people may mess up her plans for a social event, maybe plotting behind the scenes, trying to gain allies for herself. We're all afraid of losing control. I'm afraid of losing control. In our economic climate, we're afraid of losing control of our finances. What's going to happen? For some of us, it's losing control of our health. For others, it's simply losing control of our image, of what people think about us. And the irony is here that all of our efforts to maintain control actually put us in bondage to something else. We end up being controlled by the very thing that we want to protect. The religious leaders wanted to protect their authority. They feared the people and they ended up being controlled by the fact that they feared the people. And the same is true for us. The very thing that we want to protect ends up controlling us in the end. So that now we've submitted to an authority other than the good authority of Christ. And we're simply letting something else in this world. Some fear, some anxiety, some worry. We're letting that be the control of our lives. Rather than Christ Himself. One of the most basic rules of life is that we're all under some kind of authority, and that's true for everybody. You can be the CEO of the largest corporation in the world, and you still are under the authority of the board of directors. You're still under the authority of the shareholders. You can be president of the United States, and you're still under the authority of the people because they can vote you out of office. If you're a new Christian, or if you've never learned this lesson, this lesson you need to learn. You're under some authority. And the question that you need to ask yourself is, what authority is ruling me? Is it the authority of Christ? Or is it some other fear that I have? Just like the religious leaders. Is it that you're afraid that you'll be alone for the rest of your life? And it rules you? Is that you're afraid to reveal exactly what your struggles are on the inside and it rules you? My friends, something is ruling us. It's either God or it's something else in His world that He did not mean to rule over us. But friends, let me tell you, it goes actually deeper than the fear of losing control. The reason that we do not submit to the Son at times. And it's expressed here in verse 6. He still had another. 
a beloved son. You see, the greatest problem is we don't love the son the way the father loves the son. Because if we love the son the way the father loved him, then we would bow before him and allow nothing else to rule us. We would want him to be exalted. We would want him to be glorified. We want everything about his commands to be worked out in our life because Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. But to the extent that we do not love him, we will seek to take from him what he is due. Isn't that what they said? Come, here's the heir, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. By law, the son was the one to inherit this vineyard. And they thought, well, maybe the father is dead because he sent his son and if we kill the son, we'll have the right to the vineyard. And all they're trying to do is take what is due to the son because they do not love him. Friends, there will be a restless spirit in you fighting against Jesus' authority until you love Christ the way that the Heavenly Father loves Christ. Seek to be the one to love Him greatly. Because if you do not, then you will spurn His authority and you will reject Him. Thirdly, let me ask this question. What happens if we do reject the Son? You know, I think there's a sense of pleasure uh, in us whenever we do rebel against authority, particularly authority that we do not like. Maybe it's the federal government that you do not like and you want to rebel against them and you want to stick it to the man sometimes. Maybe it's something little. You don't wear your seatbelt at times just because you don't want to submit to that particular authority. And there's something in us that takes pleasure in this at times. We feel like we've won a victory. And they felt like they won a victory. But you see, it's all an illusion. They kill the servants. They kill the son. They throw him out of the vineyard. They think they have won. And what does Jesus say in verse 9? What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. He's going to destroy those who do not love His Son. And in the end, what we're told by Jesus as He quotes Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You can imagine the, the brick masons as they're laying the temple foundation. And they're examining all the various stones and thinking through what's the best stone that we could use for the cornerstone of the foundation. And they're tossing various boulders aside and rejecting them. Those are not worthy. And what the psalmist is saying here is, yes, in his earthly life, the Messiah is rejected by those who will not submit to his authority. But in the end, that stone has become, it says in our translation, the cornerstone, or it might better be translated, the capstone. That is to say that that stone has been exalted to be raised higher than any other, placed on the top of the temple as the capstone for all to see. 
Because you see, in the end, the father is going to raise his son and exalt him. Even though he's been rejected, he will be the one who is glorified. At the name of Jesus, we have already sung, every knee shall bow. So here Jesus is saying, if you do reject me, be forewarned. It will lead to your destruction. Because ultimately the son will be exalted. And the saddest part of all of it is that if we reject Jesus' authority, we actually forfeit the right to know him. Back in chapter 11, verse 33, when Jesus answered them, or when they answered Jesus, excuse me, we do not know the answer to your question. Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. In other words, if they're not willing to come to him in faith and submit to him, he says, I will remove from you the answer to the question so that you no longer have the opportunity to submit to me. You see, those who reject Christ, not only destroyed, but forfeit the glory of knowing him. And that's the greatest pleasure of life is knowing our creator, our master, our savior taking delight in him i think one of the reasons we go through periods in which we're spiritually cold and we feel lifeless spiritually at times is simply because we've denied the kingly office of christ and why should he come to us in intimate fellowship why should he draw near to us if we're living in rebellion to get against him and not submitting to him because he says if you If you withdraw from me, I'll withdraw from you. Draw near to Christ, and he will draw near to you, we are told. How do you know if you've done that? How do you know? Well, when the son comes to you, rather than saying, come, let's kill him, and we will throw open the doors of this vineyard, And it will be ours. But instead we come and say with the psalmist, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. How do you know if you've submitted to Christ? You stop hiding from Him. You stop rejecting His authority. And you throw open the the doors of your heart. And you say, Lord, come into me. Search me. Try me. Find out where my sin is and root it out. Because I don't want any part of my life to be in rebellion against you. One final question in our last few minutes here. What blessing is theirs who respect the Son? Verse verse, uh, 9 of chapter 12 tells us this. He will come and the destroy the tenants, but he will give the vineyard to others. Now this is an allusion to the fact that though the vineyard will be taken from Israel because they reject Jesus as the Messiah, the vineyard's going to be given to others. To all those who throughout history and throughout the world confess the name of Jesus. Your life is no longer lived for yourself Your life is no longer empty. It is no longer aimless and purposeless. But now you have been invited into the vineyard of the Lord. 
and you labor on his behalf and everything that you do counts for building his kingdom. And most especially, what he says here for those who have been welcomed into his vineyard, even though the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, this was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. It's marvelous in the eyes of those who submit to Christ because we know that the only way that we can enter into the vineyard is because Jesus has submitted to the will of the Father, been killed by the tenants of the vineyard, raised upon a cross and experienced all the pains of hell for those who trust in Him. Now we look upon Jesus and we say it is marvelous. And a God like that who would love me in such a way Now that's the God that I want to submit to. No other authority that you live under in this life will ever treat you like Jesus. No other authority will ever give up its life for you that you might go free from your sins and be welcomed into the vineyard of the Lord and be given a noble position in the kingdom of God. We are suspicious of authority. We don't want to lose control. But my friends, there is no greater authority, no greater blessing to live under the authority of Jesus because under His control, the vineyard prospers. Isn't that what has taken place? He's built this glorious vineyard and now it's prospering. Come to Christ. Submit to Him in every part of your life. Love Him. And enjoy His vineyard. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we turn to You and we confess that at times we have rebelled against Your Son. There are areas of our life in which we do not want to give up control. For we are afraid pray that you would remove that fear from us, that we would take delight in the work of the Son on our behalf, to see his good reign over our lives and want to submit to him. Pray that our love for him would grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that our lives will be lived for him and in submission to him. And as we do that, All the destructive authorities of our lives are pushed away. May that be true for us. So that as we go forward in this life, there is great joy and happiness and delight in loving Him, in worshiping Him, and withholding nothing from Him. And this we pray in His name. Amen.